Well, for a message to be everlasting, it doesn't have to be eternal. So I'm going to try to get through this real quickly because we've had a lot going on today. But uh, uh, I want to share uh, some things as we start the new year. Happy New Year. And it's a, it's a thing of glad tidings because we've just celebrated Christmas. And Christmas is always a time of, of joy. And yet, uh, boy, it quickly turns in, back into a battle right after Christmas. But uh, as we start the new year, there's some things I want to share with you that I hope will be encouraging to you. I've entitled this one, The Sovereignty and the Surrender, uh, because Bob Lemereau wants me to get this word out early, but I always struggle with titles, you know. But the idea, the verse that really is uh, behind that is, uh, is Psalm 31 and 15, where, where uh, David in the psalm says this. <clears throat> he says, As for me, I trust in thee, O Lord, and I say thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. May thy face to make thy face to shine upon thy servant and save me in loving kindness. And David certainly had a story of, of how God over and over again would help him, deliver him, and show him his loving kindness. But that, that phrase that my times are in thy hand. And as we go into the New Year's, there's just a lot of things I want to share with you about, about the Lord. And as you think about what we, we've just celebrated with Christmas is that God doesn't do things by impulse. He's not a spontaneous, uh, oh, let's try this. So he's not playing games with us. And he didn't make mankind as a, as a research project. But he had, before the foundation of the world, Plans laid for you and for me with perfect faithfulness. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, in every season there is a purpose. And I won't sing that song, but uh, you know the idea that behind every action, behind every moment, there's an invisible hand working, moving us. Whether you see it, recognize it, feel it, or believe it, God is on the move. And the idea that... <clears throat> My times, my life, my very circumstance, everything about me and you have been appointed from long ago. And so the idea of that God is doing some things to among us, and some recognize and some don't, because there's an issue about surrender to the sovereignty of God. And so as I go into this message, there's some things I want to just share with you that that as uh, thinking about the Lord, thinking about Wayne's home going, thinking about Bob's home going, I think about uh, how God had been moving in my, my own family's life because I was the first one in my family to become a Christian. We don't have a Christian background. My grandparents weren't Christian. We grew up thinking, thinking that they were normal people and religious people. <laughs> Sometimes I still think that. I, I know that. But the way God worked in my life after my father's death didn't mean that he had abandoned me. I just couldn't see him or didn't, I wasn't interested in him. And the idea that the promised Messiah, that Jesus would come to be born as a child, 
as a prophet, priest, and king, as the one that we celebrate with Christmas, had nothing to do with me, I thought. And I questioned a lot of that, and I'd never, I'd never met a single Christian before I was 18. Never met anyone who talked about Christ. Always thought that if you were a good person, you'd do good things, but you didn't have to be spiritual, you didn't have to be religious. But it was in college in 1972, after 10 Christians knocked on my door. Hey, Jerry, we're here to ask what you think about Jesus. I said, I don't. You want to go to heaven? I don't know. You want to go to hell? I don't know. I just didn't think spiritually like that. I had no idea what the church was about. I had no idea what the Bible was about. My grandmother had a Bible that only held the obituaries and dead roses and some marriage writing, who got married when, but they never read it. And so for me, Christianity and Christ were do, 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 do. It was twilight zones, like, who are these people? And I didn't want to be part of them. Well, Wayne didn't want to be part of them either. My whole family didn't want to be part of it because we didn't like Christians. We didn't like the church. We weren't anti-Christians. We just weren't pro-Christian. We just kind of... Because I never was attracted to anybody who was, quote, a Christian who was religious because I just thought it was just kind of a, a quirky thing. They just... But I didn't, I didn't understand. Wayne uh, was the last one of my family to become a Christian. When I became a Christian at Ball State... I went home, and it, uh, I began reading my Bible. My oldest brother, Dale, saw me read. He said, you're really getting into that, aren't you? Two years later, Dale went through a divorce. And through that divorce, God used that terrible relationship to bring Dale to Christ. As soon as Dale came a Christian, his wife said, well, if Dale gets saved, I can get saved. And so she got saved, and they went back to church. There's another saga to that, but Dale became a Christian. Wayne didn't. Then my youngest sister, Connie, you've met, she became a Christian. And then at that time, God had been developing my life, and I went to Mexico as a missionary as a 22, 4-year-old. I was 24 years old as to serve as an uh, international trainee and and God was doing a mighty work in my life, and my family watched that. Connie became a Christian. Patty became a Christian. Debbie became a Christian. Lonnie became a Christian. But Wayne was the holdout. Mom became a Christian. And I just thought, God does things through people, through families, and that's how he reaches us, through friends and relationships. So it was... Wayne was kind of like a, a giant eagle manager of, of Kroger, but he had 18 stores, and so he would get up four in the morning, and he was a tough bird, really tough. You don't want to get around Wayne, because Wayne would bite your ear off. He was not an easy man to live with. People were afraid of him. He walked in the store, oh, and they would tremble. They did not like working with him, because he was tough. This is what you have to do, and he was... He was good at it, but he would not hesitate to fire you. Paulette, after 30-some years, prayed, God, he's not a Christian. 
whatever it takes, Lord, to make him a Christian. One spring, 2012, he went to pick up his grandson, got into a, a, missed the exit, went to the next exit to turn around and came back and there was a light up there with a green light um, saying, you can go. As Wayne went into the intersection to turn, it turned yellow. And then a speeding car came in passing with 40 miles an hour without braking, hit his truck on the side, T-boned him. And right behind Wayne, wouldn't you know, there was a nurse. And Wayne was thrown across the car and he didn't break his neck, but he just was paralyzed from the neck down. And Wayne died five times in the hospital. On the fifth time, it was 3.30 in the morning, I was there, and he, he um, said to me, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. About that loud. I had to read his lips, and I said, Wayne, do you want to be saved? And he said, I need to be saved. And I, I said, don't say anything, but in your heart, pray with me. And so I let him, let him in prayer. And then he accepted Christ right then, and my brother became my brother. And I immediately baptized him with ice chips. <laughs> because he, one, he was hot, and two, that was the only thing I would just grab. And three, I didn't know he'd be around another five minutes. He was going into eternity. Two years later, after we were talking, Wayne said to me something I thought I'll never forget. He didn't tell me then. It was a long while. He said, when I was at the point of death, I saw five, he said, I saw five dark figures moving and waiting for me. He, did, he said, I, saw, I didn't see the light. I didn't see anything of Jesus. I just saw five dark figures. And so he turned quickly. He said, I, you know, I came back and I need to be saved. So it was out of fear of death and fear of hell and fear of darkness and fear that Wayne turned to Christ and just like me, he didn't know anything about Christ. But God saved my brother and for the last 10 years or so he has been a witness for Christ in my city. Everybody knows the testimony of Wayne that most quadriplegics die after one year. And after one year they either get uh, Divorced or suicide or drugs or whatever, but Wayne's, Wayne's a testimony for 12 years of, or 10 years of how my sister, my family have loved him, how Christ has come in and discipled him. And so the thing about Wayne, his body's broken. But last December when we went home, it was God's timing for us as a family to get together as brothers and sisters. It was a wonderful time. And that's his smile. That's as best as he can do. He just grits his teeth. And he said, I wish you a Merry Christmas. It was a wonderful time. But the idea that Wayne's life was scheduled, all those things were appointed. The idea that God is sovereignly working in my brother's life and working in my life and working in your life leads us to question, good night, is God good in all that he does? Well, to understand what we, what we come to the scriptures, when we hear what Paul says about the Lord, it says the Lord is the Lord. And the word Lord means king, sovereign, furthermost back. 
There's no one he consults. There's no one he turns to for research. He doesn't share with any of the other gods around the world. But he is totally in control. The idea of sovereignty doesn't mean that he's a tyrant or an oppressive one. It just means he knows what he's doing. And he's orchestrating life for a purpose. And that purpose, as you see in the salvation through Christ, is he's organizing and orchestrating, engineering and architecting a story of redemption to return all men who've fallen away from Christ. Not only to save them from, from the condemnation of being separated from him, but to return them to intimacy, to friendship. That turning the hearts that we would have a God-centeredness because we are God people at heart, spiritually made for this communion with Christ and yet rebellious and walking away from it. And so Paul would say this in Colossians 1.15. He says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Colossians 1.22. Because this Christ that came imaged the Father to us. And in 15 it says, by, or 16 it says, by him all things that were created, all things, all things, all things, every single person, every single child, every single person who's been handicapped, every international person, and so when you begin to think about all things, that there's not a single person who has living breath on earth that God doesn't love. Not a single person who's been created that God isn't writing a story. He has a purpose for everyone, and everyone is going to come under that sovereign will through all the circumstances, whatever they may be, that God is behind the scenes as an invisible hand working all things for good. That's what Paul would say. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his son so that they might be like him in that image. But the idea that my times are in his hands and that he's using everything on a daily basis to understand his purpose, his promises, his, his power, but more so his presence. And the fact that we would walk in a way to understand this, uh, we have trouble. And so we don't understand that the God is our great Jehovah who guides us through this pilgrim land. Oh, Saturday. So Saturday, what day is today? Friday morning, I met with my son Matthew and we had breakfast in Indianapolis. And that conference, that conference I went to had... It was a conference of 5,000 to 6,000 people, students, who are trying to find out what God wanted them to do in, in the, with their life. And, and as I was listening to them, they were taking their education overseas. Medical doctors, nurses, teachers, engineers, business people, who are looking for places where God can use them overseas in any capacity, whether it be language, linguistics, or, or whatever. And then, and then I went to have breakfast with Matthew, and Matthew said the same thing to me that a lot of these 5,000 students were struggling with. 
they don't know how to discern what God was doing in their life. They didn't know, they were kind of lost and wanting to know, but did not know uh, what the meaning was or the purpose was. And so I shared with Matthew a verse I want to share with you that I didn't know, and I don't know if you know this. It's Psalm 32.8. Repeat after me. Psalm 32.8. And do it in Spanish. No, I'm kidding. Salmo. It says, it says this. And I said this to Matthew. When I was your age, Matthew, trying to figure out what God wanted me to do, I did not know this about God. It said, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And I will lead you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I did not know God did that. In my particular situation at that time, whether it's a career choice, or going overseas, or getting married to Sandy, there's another story there, isn't there? Or, or going to Japan, or whatever the major decisions were, I learned that passage, one, through a, a series of hard times, an accident through a car, and uh, things at work, things at school, but the idea that I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And I said to Matthew, I didn't know God wants to tell, tell me the purpose, what he wants me to do. I didn't know he wanted it with my, his eye on me. And as I sat there in that auditorium of 5,000 people, I thought, his eyes on him, his eyes on him, his, his eyes on her, his, his eyes on her. That the Lord personally guides each and every one of us in all situations that are that go all the way across the board. He guided my family. He guides Wayne. He guides Bob. He guides you. But he does so looking at you. He's a God who sees. He knows what you're going through. He wants to counsel and, and give you that wisdom that he had to give you the grace to suffer well, the grace and the power to forgive well, the, the understanding that the Spirit comes to really help you understand who your father is. Another passage I didn't know. After you become a Christian, it says, old things pass away, behold, all things become new. The passage I didn't understand was 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. It says, eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard all that God has got prepared for those who love him. Really? Eye hasn't seen ear has not heard. And as I read that passage, I thought, yeah, I don't understand a lot of this thing. But the idea in that passage says, God has got things prepared for you. Your, your seasons, your circumstances. And I believe that there's an appointment. I believe there are divine appointments, don't you? That you are supposed to be in certain places at certain times to meet certain things or to go through certain things and to meet certain people. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That God's already ahead of you. Oh, I was at that conference again, and it was during lunch break, and I finished my Chinese stir-fry. I'm sitting in the food court, and I'm thinking, okay, i got 20 minutes before the, 30 minutes before the next session. You know what I did? I said, Lord, you ever do this? <laughs> 
I said, Lord, I got 30 minutes. I don't have anything to, I mean, I got 30 minutes free. Is there somebody here you want me to meet? Is there somebody that uh, I am supposed to meet? That's what I said. I put away my trash, and I turned around, boom. Jerry, Jerry. It was just that fast. Daryl? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Daryl was a sex offender that I was able to minister to in the prison in Indiana. He's now out cooking hamburgers downtown Indianapolis. He was right there in the concourse at that time. Now, why did I meet Daryl as soon as, and I only had a short, so I said, let's go get a cup of coffee. And he started to share with me how significantly God had been working in his life, struggling as he is, but becoming godlier, humble, repentant, transformed, suffering. But he's a new man. Old things passed away. Now, why did I meet Daryl at that point? Because God had an appointment. And I was ready, already in motion. And so God moves people to meet people at a certain time. Well, Jesus says, you call me Lord. I am Lord. I am sovereign. I'm working in your life in all circumstances. And if you listen to me, then you'll listen to how the Spirit of God will guide you. The problem is we don't listen very well. How does God guide us to listen how does God guide us in a spirit? Well, Paul says if you walk with him, according to, if you live and led by the spirit, then you won't live by the flesh. But there's a spiritual reality that I want to invite you to learn this year, that God is alive, and God does counsel with his eye upon you, and God does put people in path. If you're open to see the Lord at work, my brother wasn't at one point, now his eyes are fully open. And little bit by little bit in this new year, whatever circumstance you're going through, whatever hardship or affliction you're going through, seek the counsel of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, you do it, one, by prayer. By getting into your closet and you say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know you. I don't know how to deal with this. I'm not good at this stuff. But I'm open to hear you. And so in your prayer, if you ask in the name of Christ, the shepherd of your soul, who made you and loves you, will make sure you get to the point and place where he wants to shepherd you. Two, stay in the word of God. That scripture will constantly point you back to Christ. And if your guidance isn't going to be aligned with scripture, you have reason to say, Lord, is this of you? And that scripture will give you the security that you are in step with the Spirit. Third, you need fellowship and friends who talk about Christ in such a way how Christ has worked through your crisis to give you the comfort and the resources to pass on that comfort and resources to other people. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. And if you are the witness that God wants you to be, and the church comes to witness that fellowship, it's that community of, of, of the believers 
that share that common fellowship, that common grace, the common gospel, the common purpose, the common communion, the common promises, all those great things are ours. Is what Jesus prayed for, that they would be one. It's that unity of spirit that when the world sees the church as one fellowship, then they will believe. So it's how you demonstrate the relationships of, of Christ living among us. That's the wonder that we have as God's people. We don't do it very well. Therefore, we need to be taught, counseled, with my eye upon you, with the fellowship upon you. Let me just close with this one. When Paul, like Wayne, or like any of us, are going through circumstances, sometimes we pray, God, why? Why are you doing this? Or God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. Or where do you want me to go? And with Paul, he wasn't blinded in Damascus Road. He was really thrown for a loop. But it wasn't the what or why or where or how. It was the who question. Who are you? And Jesus answered that question. I am the Lord. You ask the same question. Who are you, God? And you'll get that same kind spirit guiding you to the loving Father. Jesus Christ is everything you want, has everything you need, and knows what you are in. And he will guide you in and through it by the Spirit of God and the people of God and the Word of God and the promises of God this year. He's got things prepared. Therefore, I would invite you, if you haven't turned this year over, and say, Lord, 2023 is your year. My times are in your hand. You work things with perfect faithfulness, things planned long ago, before the foundation of the world, and my life is in your hands. I trust in you. I would invite you right now be quiet in your heart to say to the Lord, give, give Jesus 2023. And if you haven't known Christ to be the Savior and Deliverer or the Counselor or the Friend, oh, you can do so this year. So I'm going to invite you to pray right now in your heart. Just tell the Lord what you want in 2023. Bow with me now. Sometimes, Jesus, in our awkward silence, we don't know what to say to you. I don't know what to say to you. What a question. As we look at 2023, Father, I would ask for each of us here that we would surrender to those times where you are at work guiding us. Father, increase our faith, clarify our hope, and would you make the power of love real, that the compassion of Christ would be flowing through us. Lord, thank you that you use all things to help us mature in Christ. And so, Lord, 2023 isn't the year of our Lord. It's not the year of Jerry. 
it's your year. So use it for your purposes. And Lord, bring us back to this place of prayer, back to this question. What do you want us to do? Who are you this year to me? Lord, build your church for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.